0: Udham This evening's puja we have dedicated to our teacher Achan Cha since this is the occasion of marking his birth and I think it's safe to assume that there are very many people all around the world today who are reflecting with gratitude on the good fortune of having heard these teachings uh, from Char. The Buddha's teachings have been around for two thousand six hundred and something years and however there are many different ways of interpreting and presenting and what the Buddha taught and Sometimes it's presented in a highly intellectual way and made to sound really, really difficult. Sometimes it's presented these days in a sort of Buddhism light mode where it kind of looks like it's a, another aspect of the New Age movement. And sometimes it's presented as a meditation technique that is only for a very privileged, select few people. However, my experience of uh, living near Ajahn Chah uh, for several years, back in the mid-seventies or the second half of the 1970s, is that he had a particular skill in presenting the teachings that were wonderfully inspiring, and yet also accessible, he somehow Pointed out how challenging and difficult the path of practice can be, at the same time as exuding a great deal of joy and and encouragement, and and so hence the gratitude. Of course, we all feel towards him. Most of you, of course, only have access to the translated teachings, the, the books that have been translated into. English and I think these days it's also available in, in German and I think perhaps Italian and Chinese, available in Chinese and even so those teachings likewise are evidently encouraging to people. I was reflecting yesterday I think it was, and in fact I thought yesterday was the birthday and. The last few days, I've been reflecting on this and and considering how now there are I think it's 360 branch monasteries in Thailand in Ajahn Chah's community and and 15 branch monasteries outside of Thailand, or maybe it's 14 outside of Thailand. And how did that happen? from this one person and, and, and thinking back to say 80 or something years ago when he was a junior monk like, like several of you in the first few years of training and, and he would have, of course had absolutely no idea uh, that here we are in the year 2022 and there's, there's 374 Primes Monasteries approximately built under his name he would have had no idea. He was busy studying the traditional Buddhist training course in Thailand and learning his chanting and no doubt putting up with the, the rigors and of being a, a junior monk, probably feeling hungry in the evening and and lonely when he saw his friends that he was ordained with, disrobing and feeling left alone and, and wondering about what his future was going to be and how long he was going to last as a monk with all his mates in his robe and but thankfully, thankfully, he stuck with it and realized a profound benefit which he generously shared and made available. And here we are in rural Northumberland benefiting from these teachings. Sometimes I've heard it said that Ajahn Chah didn't do much study. However, that's not accurate. He did do the traditional study. Yeah, in the beginning when he was a young monk, he followed the, the path of a study monk, the Pariyati tradition, and and was well schooled in the, that aspect of the teachings. However, there was a point in his early years where there was a dramatic Shift of orientation, of perspective and it was precipitated by his, the death of his father and although he had been a monk for several years and, and studied and could probably recite lots of aspects of the Buddha's teachings when it came to actually dealing with the pain of loss of his father he realised he didn't know anything at all He suffered terribly. Out of that experience came a determination to not just study about Dhamma, rather to commit to practicing Dhamma. When the Buddha taught about the Four Noble Truths, he wasn't just giving a theory, he was presenting a a path of cultivating the spiritual faculties, saddha, virya, sati, samadhi, panya, faith, energy, mindfulness, collectiveness, discernment, cultivating these faculties, honing these faculties down so that we could study actuality, study the actual experience of suffering. Mm -hmm. And in one of his examples, in talking about this, he he talks about how the difference between the word hot and the experience of getting burnt. Mm -hmm. You can say the word hot in English. If you don't speak English, it doesn't mean anything. So if you speak Thai, the word Ron, Ron sounds like some bloke's name. In Thai, the word Ron means hot. It communicates something. However, that word, that concept, is not the same thing as the the actuality, the experience of heat, the experience of burning, the experience of anger, the experience of sadness. The experience of suffering is very different from the concept of suffering. and The path of practice is a training of our faculties so as to be able to meet suffering when it arises, to meet suffering as an experience and look into it, not just theorize about it. So that shift in direction took place and after a few years of his already having been a monk. And, and then there was another very significant shift later on. I don't know after how many years he'd been a monk. However, he met the Venerable Ajahn man And at this time, he was still feeling very confused about his practice. He he didn't have confidence, didn't have clarity. And, and I heard this talk, well it was a recorded talk, and Again, this is many years ago, I heard it now. However, I do remember aspects of what Ajahn Chah was saying and how he was reporting to Ajahn Man, how he'd been reading the Visuddhimagga and he'd been studying the Sina-nitesa and the Samadhi-nitesa and the panya and that's the, that's the teachings on integrity and the teachings on collectiveness and the teachings on discernment. And and he, he had this expression, teaching, talking, speaking to Ajahn Man, he used this expression, he says, which means this. all of this is beyond human capability. This is just too much, in other words. It's too much. He, he didn't have any confidence, didn't have any clarity. And, and yet he had all this information about Dhamma. And, <clears throat> and then he reported, Ajin Chah reported how on this occasion, Lungpho Man said to him, something to the effect that, yes, that's a lot, indeed that's a lot. Can you make it a little or can you, instead of doing a lot, can you just do one thing? And that one thing is to study, read, look at your own heart. And that again was a turning point in Ajahn Chah's path of practice from sending his attention out, following, wanting to understand and studying about Dhamma to turning his attention in, to studying his relationship to the desire that's causing suffering right here and now in this moment. As I said, this is many years ago that I heard this talk and some of the details may not be completely accurate. Maybe some of you have read that biography by Ajahn Jayasaro. I expect he's recorded in in that biography, this incident. However, I feel like it's true enough to mention here and I think it's an accurate representation of Ajahn Shah's presentation of the teaching, of the training that he imparted to those who visited and lived with him. He didn't say don't read anything at all. However, he was discouraging of just settling for information or a theoretical knowledge of Dhamma. Hmm. And then we did very strongly encourage developing the practice so as to basically be with where we're at now, really, to be with where we're at right now. He encouraged greatly walking meditation and those of you that have practiced walking meditation might know how easy it is to be walking up and down your meditation track and, and the mind is going all over the place. Thinking about something that happened in the past. Dreaming about what could happen in the future. And then, at some point, recognizing that you're not really walking. You're thinking, you're dreaming, or emoting, or worrying, or fantasizing so the training, the teaching is yes, walk a lot. However, walking is not just about dreaming about what how things are going to be in the future. And walking meditation is training our spiritual faculties so that we're really here in this moment, mm. reminding ourselves just walking. Mm. Now, you can be walking and concentrating very hard and trying to achieve some special t- state of mind, or you could also be... Just one foot in front of the other, walking up and down. And then start worrying, am I wasting my time just walking? You can follow that th- thought, am I wasting my time? Or you can return to just walking. Just walking. I'm not getting anywhere. Well, that's an idea, that's a thought. You don't know whether you're not getting anywhere. That's an idea. It's a worry, it's an anxiety, it's a doubt can return to just walking. And likewise with meditation, formal sitting meditation, breathing meditation, breathing in, breathing out, knowing the body breathing. The mind can be dwelling on thoughts about, am I getting anywhere in my practice? Should I practice a different way? Should I go and live in a different monastery? This monastery is quite small. There's not many trees here. Maybe I should go and live in Chittu's where there's lots more trees. and, Or maybe I should live with another teacher who understands me better. And that's not breathing meditation. That's speculation. That's worrying. That's doubting. That's fantasizing. So, just breathing. Breathing in, breathing out. Just knowing. Just knowing this moment. If there's doubt, then just knowing doubt. If there's worry, just knowing worry. If there's sadness, feeling sad because you had a disagreement with somebody, and what does sadness feel like? Do we have to go into our heads and speculate about the psychological causes for sadness, or, or whether sadness going to the future and think about whether sadness is going to disappear, and the, or can we? Just know this is sadness, just knowing, breathing in, breathing out, just knowing. Mm. It's so easy to follow the habits of mind, to always try to become something, to become a good monk, to become an acceptable personality, to become a great teacher. Mm. Ajahn Chah's teaching was letting go of becoming anything. The Buddha taught: becoming anything is suffering. I was speaking the other day with with uh, Paul Brighter, some of you might know, used to be Warupanya bhikkhu one of the monks who lived with Ajahn Chah in the early days and of Wat Nanachat, and one of the people who very helpfully did a lot of the translation of Ajahn Chah's teachings. And how we were talking about that occasion where Paul asked Ajahn Chah a question about. The difference between being an arahant and being a bodhisattva. And as in Char's reply, as you, you might have heard, was don't be an arahant, don't be a bodhisattva, don't be anything at all. If you're anything at all, you'll suffer. So being with where we're at, including when we're suffering. If you've got hay fever, and you're suffering from a hay fever, can we just feel this feels like this, it's painful, it's unpleasant or what do we add to it, how long is it going to go on for what causes it, should I start taking some drugs that's not being with where we're at, being with where we're at actually takes a lot of effort, it's quite an intense discipline it means going against our habits it might all might mean we feel like we're becoming very boring. Maybe our old friends find us boring. If we practice in this way, we practice giving up uh, the old habits of becoming um, that we're used to, uh, the, the old identification with the condition of personality. And, and then our friends start to drift away because they find us not interesting anymore, because we're not living in a fantasy world to the same degree. And it is difficult. Possibly even feels like dying. And it is kind of dying. Dying out of the old deluded being, the old deluded personality. It's a, just because it's painful doesn't mean to say it's bad. Again, this is why the Buddha, and his teachings on the Four Noble Truths, encouraging us to, to adjust our perception. Of pain and suffering, instead of perceiving pain and suffering as an indictment against us, as an indication that we're failing, rather get interested in it. Does this pain have to be a problem? As I've talked about many times before, the Buddha experienced pain, however the Buddha didn't have any problems, the Buddha didn't suffer. And what's the difference between feeling pain and having problems? You know? Well, that's a, that's a question that we need to be looking at. And how are we going to look at it? Well, the way to look at it is to train our spiritual faculties. You know, faith, energy, mindfulness, collectiveness, discernment. Training our spiritual faculties so that we can be with where we're at. And even though it doesn't sound very much, it's, it's actually very difficult and Thankfully Ajahn Shah endured through the difficulties and did the work and realized the benefit and so with joy and enthusiasm and energy was able to share these teachings. And 374 monasteries under your name don't just get built because you had a few clever ideas. Having clever ideas about practice is not difficult. Reading books about Dhamma is not difficult. Repeating stories are, about what this Krubarajan said, or that Krubarajan did, or that Rinpoche, or this Roshi, and so on. All of that, that's easy. That's really easy. However, a lot of it is just showing off. What's difficult is dying. That's what's difficult. Dying out of the old misidentification with the conditioned personality, with the deluded sense of I. Remember, we're not trying to get rid of the I, we're not trying to get rid of the personality. Rather, using our disciplined spiritual faculties to look at our relationship with the conditioned personality. The subject of dying is not something that I shied away from. There was one occasion where I happened to be staying at Wapapong, and I forget the reason now, it was before Pindabhat in the morning, and and I was sitting under Ajahn Chah's Kuti and there'd been a visitor from England staying in the nun's community, and, and she was about to leave, and she came over with one of the nuns, and, and uh, they had a tape recorder, and they, they gave it to Ajahn Chah, I wanted him to just say a few words, like goodbye, or hello, or something that, that she could take back with her to England. And, Ajahn Chah gave this very beautiful teaching, which is translated and recorded as the teaching of the cobra or the cobra of the mind or something like that. At the very end of this teaching, um, I don't know whether it was translated in the printed version or not, however, in the recorded version, if you listen to the tape recording of it, Ajahn Chah finishes his talk and then he said, make sure that you learn to appreciate these teachings before you die. And then he went on to say, well, actually what you need to do is die before you die. He says, Hymen die Actually interesting, the word entire Thai is very similar. Die. Hymen die die. Ya daigon, na? Haim and die gone. Hymen die die. Don't go and die before you die. And what he's talking about, of course, is dying out of that deluded personality that's always resisting suffering, resisting reality, resisting life and that takes a unique, distinct sort of effort. It's easy to judge our habits of resistance and our, or our addiction to abstract understanding. That's easy. It's easy to speculate and theorise about the path of practice. Hmm. However, to really turn attention inwards and study the heart to be with what's happening in this moment, that's a different sort of effort. There was another occasion where one of the senior monks had, had met this American tourist in, in Bangkok and, and brought him back up to Wapapong in those days, I think it was. And, and uh, one, one of these occasions where he took him to visit us in Chah and was sitting there and this young fellow was looking a bit unhappy and, Ajahn Chah just looked at him and said, die. On one level, that doesn't sound very compassionate. You know, that doesn't sound a very pleasant thing to be saying when somebody's unhappy or somebody's suffering. if we really pay attention to what Ajahn Chah is talking about, that's a very compassionate, very kind thing to say. It's the truth. You know, say, if you want to be happy, You've got to let go of this misidentification, that we've been taught, we've been taught that the deluded personality, that the body-mind is who and what we are, and unless we train our faculties and are willing to ask the difficult questions consistently, skillfully enough, um, then we're going to just remain in this state of, of limited being, which is really unfortunate, that's really sad. And to tell somebody that that's okay and that's all you can do as a human being and perhaps things will be better when you die, that's not very wise, that's not very kind, that's not very compassionate. So Ajahn Chah's teaching was not about becoming anything. It was about letting go of everything. Having said that, let's again remember that letting go is not not something we do I don't do the letting go. The deluded I is actually the manifestation of the habits of clinging. That's what the deluded personality is. Habitual patterns of clinging. The way out of these habitual patterns of clinging is to, once again, discipline our spiritual faculties and pay attention to that feeling of limited being, the feeling of suffering, to really look closely at it and see where, when and how Are we turning this pain of life into suffering through clinging? And if we do it in the right way, skillfully enough, consistently enough, then we may have the good fortune to experience the letting go. Thank you very much for (laughs) Dan magataya hamagataya satu karang dalam